This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great being with you to talk about the Parsha and to talk about things that are important in our lives. Every time we look at the Parsha, every time we look at the Torah, every time we study the Torah, it's not only an intellectual pursuit, of course it's that as well, but far more than that, it is an instruction as to how we must live life. And not only how we must live life generally, of course, there's so many commandments that will determine the code of Jewish behavior, but basically how to elevate ourselves, to become better, to understand the nuance of Torah, to understand the inner dimensions of Torah, and to understand ourselves a little bit better. And in this search, search for coming, becoming better, we connect with God on a much higher level as well. And this is why studying the Torah is so important. The weekly Parsha is so important. And as I've said so many times, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe spoke about living with the times and he meant it to mean that we have to live with the Parsha of the week every day, another Parsha, every week another Parsha. And there is something very specific in the daily portion, in the weekly portion, that talks to us about certain things that we need in our lives. And yes, there are so many different type of people and different type of situations and different realities. And Torah speaks to each and every one specifically, individually with a tremendous sense of focus and direction. It's quite amazing that this infinite Torah can touch the hearts and minds, the thoughts, the actions of so many millions. So many people look at the Parsha, and each one tries to relate to the message of the Parsha to a particular dimension of their own lives, and they find that message. This is something which is important for us to understand. It's not only a general study. It's not only a general sense of direction. We have to look for something specific. We have to look for something which is individual. We have to look to something which means something to ourselves, ourselves in the very specific definition of the word. The Parsha of the week is Chukas. And Chukas is a very strange parsha. First of all, it begins with a strange law, the law of the red heifer, which we'll talk about in a moment or two. It tells us about all sorts of other things, battles that the Jewish people had to go through in order to enter the promised land. We speak about the death of Miriam, the sister of Moses. We speak about the death of Aaron, the brother of Moses. We speak about the fact that Moses and Aaron are punished. They will not enter the land because they hit the rock rather than speaking to the rock. It is a complicated parsha, And basically, one begins to think, why is it that all of this is contained in a parsha that is called Chukas? What is Chukas, the story of the red heifer? The red heifer was basically a form of purifying those individuals who became defiled by contact with death or anything else. And the person who prepared this ash made out of the red heifer and a few other ingredients, he himself becomes impure. The person upon which it's sprinkled becomes pure. It's not only an irrational law. It's a law that challenges reason. It challenges logic. It is completely contrary to anything we understand or know. Now, first of all, we have to understand why is it necessary to have these chukim, these decrees, divine decrees, this is the way it shall be. What's its purpose? And perhaps even more so, as we look through the Parsha, what is it in fact that this is going to tell us? And it's important to read the first few words of the Parsha where God is telling Moshe about this particular commandment. And he says, Zos chukas Torah. This is the decree of the Torah, not the decree of the Parah Aduma, 
of the red heifer, but rather the decree of Torah. All of Torah, in a sense, is contained within this particular mitzvah, the mitzvah of the red heifer. And as mentioned, it is something which simply does not lend itself to any type of human logic. And while, of course, human beings are incredibly intelligent, and you've heard me say this many times, we are so intelligent. In fact, we use very little of our intelligence. Our intelligence is incredibly powerful and vast. Yet, this is something which the human mind simply cannot understand. It's a divine decree. It makes no sense whatsoever, no logic whatsoever, no reason whatsoever. And yet, Torah tells us, Zos chukas this is the law of the Torah, this is the decree, this is the one which defines everything else. And the question is, how can this irrational law define everything else? After all, we are told that we should study the Torah, we should understand the Torah, we have to study the Torah on a on a daily basis. We have a great many mitzvahs that we understand fully. We have a great many mitzvahs that we understand what, in fact, its purpose is, its reward, its punishment. And yet when it comes to this particular irrational, super-rational, non-rational law, what does Torah say? This is the law of Torah. And perhaps one has to begin thinking along these lines, that ultimately, even that which we understand, we don't fully and truly understand. Perhaps we only understand a certain superficial or external dimension, but we don't understand its essence. What's more important to realize is that the idea of understanding something is not the reason why we do it. There are so many areas of life. People say, well, I don't do it because I don't understand it. Most of the stuff that we do, we don't understand. What is it that compels the individual to think that only that which he understands is he obligated to do? In other words, he is limiting his action, he is limiting his life by the confines, by the barriers of his own intellectual limitation. That which he understands, he will follow. That which he doesn't understand, he won't follow. Perhaps you can use the example of a child, a young child, who says to a parent, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z until I understand it. And the parent can argue till he's blue in the face. She's blue in the face. The fact is the child simply cannot understand. And a parent is obligated to train the child, to teach the child what to do and how to behave and how to behave correctly, even though the child simply doesn't understand what is taking place. This is true in far greater measure, in infinite measure, in our relationship with God. There are certain things, yes, that he allows us to understand to a certain degree. But yet, at the same time, there are certain commandments that we simply cannot and will never understand. Of course, when Mashiach comes, we'll understand these things fully. But in the situation that we're in right now, we don't understand what the Pura is all about. We don't understand what so many commandments, and even those that we do understand, upon closer investigation, closer examination, we begin to realize even that we don't understand either. Zos chukas Torah. This is one of the aspects of Torah that we have to understand. The relationship of understanding and not understanding. What we can understand is vast. But it doesn't include everything, because as great as human intelligence is, as great as our minds are, ultimately they are limited by our human reality.
They are limited by the fact that we are human beings and therefore our understanding can reach great heights, but only so far enough. And the second thing we have to understand is the reason that we behave in a particular sort of way is not because we understand what we are doing necessarily. It's because this is an order from God. Even those laws that we fully do understand, or we think we fully understand, nonetheless, even those laws have to be fulfilled not because we understand them. That's not the reason why we fulfill them. We fulfill them because they are basically an instruction from God. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the law of chukas. We're talking about something which defies logic. We're talking about a law which is super rational, has no basis in reason or understanding, and why, in fact, we've been given it, and why, in fact, the entire Parsha, this Parsha, is within that category of chukas. We're talking about the Parsha. We're talking about why, in fact, this entire Parsha, which contains so many interesting but diverse topics, would all be included in a Parsha that refers to, well, a sacrifice that has no reason whatsoever in terms of reason. Not that it doesn't have a reason. It's a reason that we simply don't understand. And perhaps the greater question is, why is this told to us here? We just finished a couple of weeks ago the book of Leviticus by Yikra, in which all the commandments referring to sacrifices have been told to us. Why is this one kept Well, until now, until now that we are in the book of Bamidbor, we're in the book of Numbers, why is it told to us now? Perhaps the answer can be as follows. We take a look at the Parsha. The Jewish people are about to enter the promised land. They have been in the desert. They have been in the wilderness for close on, well, 39, 40 years. And now it's time for them to enter the land. And we see this from the various stories that we read this week's Parsha, the death of Miriam, Miriam, the sister of Moshe. And because of Miriam's greatness, because of her merit, the Jewish people had water for all their needs throughout all their years in the wilderness and the desert. A miracle. Miriam, the well of Miriam served them in every capacity, water for drinking, water for bathing, water for purification, Water was there as a result of this miraculous be'er, this miraculous well, which supplied this incredibly huge amount of people with all the water that they needed in a wilderness, in a desert, when there normally is no water. And because of her greatness, this is what happened. And then she passes away this week, and the water comes to an end. And the people begin to shout and scream, Why did you bring us to this desolate place? And Moshe and Aaron are told by God to speak to the rock to give water. Moshe hits the rock. He doesn't speak to the rock. And God says, because you did not have proper faith in me to do exactly as I told you to do, you hit the rock rather than speaking to the rock. You have, well, you haven't sanctified my name as much as I expected. And because of that, the two of you will be punished. You will not enter the promised land. And one wonders, how is it that men as great as Moshe and Aaron, well, first of all, wouldn't do exactly what God says. And secondly, 
why would they be deserving of such a harsh punishment? After all, the great desire of Moshe was to come into the promised land. After all, he was the leader. He was going to take them into that great and final salvation. And this is denied him and his brother. What is that all about? And of course, we read about the death of Aaron in this week's Parsha. And with the death of Aaron, the clouds of protection, the clouds of glory, the clouds that, well, basically protected them from the elements and took care of their needs in the physical sense. This came to an end as well. What is what is happening in this Parsha that is so intense? We read about Miriam, we read about Aaron, we read about the great punishment. What is it, and all of it, contained within a Parsha that is called Chukas? Well, the Jewish people are about to enter the Promised Land. We know the story, the story of the first generation, those who came out from Egypt. They lost hope, they lost faith, and because of that they had to die in the desert. When the spies came back with a negative report, the Jewish people didn't reject that report. They accepted it. And because of that, God said, you will all die in the desert. You don't deserve to come into the promised land. It's your children that you were so concerned about. They are the ones that will occupy the land. They will, the ones that will take possession of the land. But it's time. The Jewish people have come to the end of their wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. And now it's time to enter the land. Now, entering the land, as we see, means that the great miracles that accompany the Jewish people throughout their years in the desert had come to an end as well. The well of Miriam, the water supply, the clouds of glory that protected them, all this came to an end because now was time for the Jewish people to enter into the land. They have to do battle. We read about the battle they almost had with Edom, the battle they had with other nations, etc., etc. They realize that everything that has to happen now has to come about as a result of their own initiative and effort. Yes, of course, the hand of God is always there. The miracle is always there, even though it might be hidden. But the practical application of what's taking place in this parsha is that the Jewish people have to march into the promised land and through their own initiative, through their own abilities, through their own strength, they have to deal with taking possession of the land. Up to this point, they led an incredibly miraculous life. The manna from heaven, the water from the well of Miriam, the protecting clouds as a result of Aaron's greatness, etc. They lived in a world of spirituality, of holiness, when every single need was taken care of in the most miraculous and incredible way. But now, now they have to go into the land. Not only will they have to work the land eventually in order to produce food for the people to eat, but they will have to go into battle against the enemies. They're going to have to go into a battle against the seven nations. They will have to work to find the water. They're going to have to work for protection. And the Jewish people might think, that because now what's happening is that the human effort becomes incredibly important in order to take possession of the land, the human effort is such that the human will ultimately become predominant and dominant, that the human being will be considered the single most important thing, and therefore his mind, the human mind, has to understand everything. And if it doesn't understand something, it can reject it. 
Because after all, if the human initiative is necessary, if the human effort is necessary, if the human action is necessary in order to work the land, take possession of the land, do whatever it takes to fulfill that great promise of entering the land, the Jewish people are changing from a life of obvious miracles into a life of human activity and action. And perhaps they were thinking that now is the time that the human beings are going to be elevated to the level where only that which they can do and that which they can understand and that which they can achieve is something which is worthwhile and necessary. And this is why they have to be reminded that no, even though the human effort is absolutely necessary, the human effort is vital, and this was the sin of the spies. They wanted to protect the Jewish people against this type of behavior. But now that the human effort is necessary and the human action is necessary, a person mustn't fool himself into thinking that he can understand everything. Ultimately, it's absolute faith in God and that sort of devotion which will enable him to do that which he has to do correctly. Chukas tells us that there are certain aspects of life and law and Torah which are way beyond the human capacity. They simply don't fit into the category of human understanding. But this has to apply to every single area of life. Yes, in order for me to have bread, I can't look to heaven and expect the manna to fall. I have to work the land. I have to harvest the wheat, I have to mill the wheat, I have to bake the dough into making bread. But all of that underlying dimension is the hidden miracle of God, which in a sense is far greater than the revealed miracle of God. That which I understand is wonderful, but that is not what determines the way I behave, because ultimately my devotion to God goes far beyond human reason and human logic. No matter how great human reason and logic is, it is limited. And this is why it's in this week's Parsha. When we read about the story of Miriam's death and Aaron's death, when we read about this incredible shift in the reality of what governed Jewish life, the miracle, the miraculous up to this point, and now the human effort, but with the human effort, they have to remember that ultimately it's not the human effort, really. It is the hand of God, and therefore what they understand is limited, and therefore their behavior is not dependent upon that which they understand, but rather basically as a result of incredible devotion to God. And this is something that we have to understand, the idea of faith, which is the basis, which is the foundation of who we are Jewishly. Don't forget, even before this particular moment when the Jewish people were given the law of the red heifer, this idea of going beyond reason was there as well when the Jewish people stood at Sinai. What did they say? We will do whatever God tells us to do, and then we will understand. In other words, understanding is not the reason and cause of our behavior. Our behavior is basically a devotion to God, an absolute faith, that these are the commandments that he gave us, even the most logical I do, not because of my logic, but rather because this is my faith, this is my devotion to God, this is my dedication, this is my humility 
that I give over myself to the higher authority of God's decrees, of God's ordinances, of God's laws. And this is something which has to touch us very deeply. Because throughout Jewish history, so many times, we've seen people rejecting mitzvahs because they say, well, it doesn't fit into the modern times. And the modern times can be today, it can be yesterday, it can be a hundred years ago, it can be a thousand, it can be two thousand years ago. It's always modern times. And yes, the modern times sometimes, well, they don't go along with the laws of Torah. And this is why Rashi, right in the beginning, tells us something quite fascinating. That when it comes to this particular law, Satan and the nations of the world will come and cause you grief. Why? You are an intelligent people. Why do you behave in a way which makes no sense whatsoever from the perspective of human reason and human logic? And this is something that we have to learn to defend ourselves against. When the nations of the world, when, well, anybody comes to us and tells us, why do you do this? Isn't it strange? And we know this to be true. You know, I know quite a few people who, whatever, for whatever reason, at a certain stage in life, they become kosher. And their friends look at them and say, what has happened to you? Like, you know, you're becoming slightly deranged or something. Why are you doing these funny things? Why are you beginning to, well, observe these strange laws? And we mustn't be afraid of what others tell us because they're always modern times. But at the same time, we live with an infinite devotion and dedication and faith in the laws of God and the commandments of God. This is the basis of who we are as Jews, not the logic, not the reason, but this incredible total faith that we have that Hashem does everything for the best and therefore every single one of his laws, those we understand and those we don't understand, we fulfill with equal sincerity, basically because of the law of God. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about our devotion to God. We're talking about how faith is our foundation. We're talking about how the reason that we do whatever it is that we do is not because we understand it necessarily, but more so. In fact, essentially, because God commanded us to do this. But first of all, another message from the marketplace. One of the puzzling stories in this week's Parsha is the fact that God punishes Moshe and Aaron for having, well, hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And it's a story that really bothers us. After all, Moshe and Aaron were so devoted and dedicated. And while we have spoken about this in the past, that Moshe did this in order to protect the Jewish people before God would become angry, whatever the case might be, why were they punished so severely? And while, of course, one can say, well, they were told specifically by God to do something, that's what you have to do. You can't deviate, you can't use your own, whatever it is, argument just cannot be used. You have to use whatever it is that is told to you to do it correctly and immediately. But at the end of the day, it still boggles the mind. And this is why I believe it's contained in this week's Parsha, because it's something that we don't understand. Perhaps in the fullness of time, we will understand it. In the coming of Mashiach, we will understand. Yes, there are all sorts of reasons why Moshe couldn't, shouldn't go into the promised land, but the fact is, it's something that we don't understand. It's contained within this Parsha. Even though we don't understand it, this was the will of God. 
And if it's the will of God, it does not matter if we understand it or otherwise. This is for the very, very best. And while it might appear for a moment or two to look like a very severe punishment, and it was nonetheless, we are told that whatever God does is for, well, not only a good reason, but a reason that is good, the goodness of it something that we will understand, as I said before, in the fullness of time. And the other story as well, how the Jewish people misbehave for a change, and they are punished with a plague of serpents, of snakes coming into the community. And they were biting the people and killing them. And God says, well, make a symbol of a snake, he says to Moshe. Moshe makes a copper snake, puts it on a pole. And when the Jewish people are bitten by a snake, they look up to the pole and they are healed. Now, it's a story that boggles the mind. Looking up at a serpent made out of copper, this is something which is going to heal. And the answer is precisely once again. We don't understand everything. We don't know everything. You know, we think if it's a medicine, this will help, this won't help. How many medicines help? How many medicines don't help? Everything needs the blessing of God. Every situation, we might think that the only reason it is so, or the only reason that we are committed to it is because we understand it. But upon closer investigation, I promise you, you can take any logical situation and twist it to such a degree that it makes no sense whatsoever. Every logical argument has a counter-logical argument. Every counter-logical argument is something which can result in complete and opposite type of behavior. One person says it's bad to kill. Another person says it's good to kill. And the first person says, no, but it's bad. It's immoral. Says, who decides what's moral or not moral? You? A human being? Well, I decide differently. And this has been the clash throughout history, the clash of nations. You say one thing, I say the other. But we say it's wrong to kill, not because I think so, or because it makes sense to me. It's because God said it's wrong, and therefore I understand it as well. But it's not the basis, it's not the real motive for my behaving in the way that I do. Because from a logical point of view, everything can be opposite and everything can be argued in 15 different directions. This is what this Parsha is all about. This Parsha is a very stark reminder, number one, of the limits of the human capacity to understand and the greatness of the faith and devotion that we have when it becomes the basis for our behavior, for our actions. This is something that we have to apply to our own lives in the most incredibly powerful way. This is something that we have to understand, not because we understand we do. We have to understand that we can't. So when you're in shul tomorrow, listen carefully to this Parsha. And listen carefully to the stories of the Parsha. And every single one of them, basically the underlying factor is elements that we don't understand. But there's nothing wrong with not understanding. I'm not talking about things that you should understand. What you should understand, you must But there's nothing wrong with ultimately not understanding everything because ultimately it's our faith and devotion which causes us to behave in a particular sort of way. So as I said, when you listen to the Parsha, remember this. Hear the words. Listen to the words. Make them your own. Good Shabbos.